Welcome to Pedagogue, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, I talk with Howard Tinberg about how he got into teaching, the importance of reading and teaching reading in the writing classroom, teaching for transfer, challenges facing two-year colleges, and future directions for two-year college research. I met Howard a few years ago, and we've had a lot of really good conversations since then. Howard is a great teacher and a wonderful person. I feel lucky anytime I get the chance to talk with him because he's so genuine and kind. He listens carefully and he speaks with intentionality. I actually talked with Howard right after Pedagog launched. I think it was early June 2019. And I told him kind of what I was doing and my plan for the podcast. And he encouraged me and told me that it was going to be a great resource for the field. At that point in time, I think I had just released the first episode, maybe the second, both with Mike Rose. So that conversation, that moment with Howard, really meant a lot to me. Howard Timberg is professor of English at Bristol Community College, Massachusetts, and is the author of Border Talk. Writing and Knowing in the Two-Year College and Writing with Consequence, What Writing Does in the Disciplines. He is co-author of The Community College Writer, Exceeding Expectations, and Teaching, Learning, and the Holocaust, An Integrative Approach. He is co-editor of Deep Reading, Teaching Reading in the Writing Classroom, What is College-Level Writing, and What is College-Level Writing Volume 2. He is a former editor of Teaching English in the Two-Year College and former chair of the Conference on College Composition and Communication. Howard, thanks so much for joining us. So I want to start with your story. How did you get into teaching? I've thought a lot of it over the years. I mean, I could kind of reference certain milestones as I was growing up, like uh, one of my brothers subscribing to uh, Columbia Book. Book of the Month Club, Yale Shakespeare delivered, you know, and those really, and making it a mission to read all the plays of Shakespeare and the poetic works. You know, we didn't have a lot of books before that time in, in my home, where, you know, we're the children of immigrants and, um, and uh, you know, working hard, working class, uh, just trying to make things work out. And But there was always a value uh, attached to, to schooling. And, uh, and I think uh, we, we sort of imbibed that. I guess I, I imbibed the view that uh, reading and being literate was a pretty special uh, status. And um, even though my parents themselves did not have much formal education, refugees from the war, Second World War, um, and they came with just the clothes on their back, essentially. Um, there was that sort of value to, uh, to teaching, which is very much wrapped up in, in our faith, in Jewish faith, and, and the study of the Torah, the Talmud, uh, sacred text so uh, and, uh, all that's there it, as far as getting into teaching is concerned I, I think that may have been a, a kind of product or consequence of that kind of reverence for for reading the sense that that, that to read well or to to be to be literate you know endows one with a kind of a, a strength or a magical power if you want to call it that um, so teaching seemed to be a kind of natural uh, follow-through I course, getting a degree everyone all my siblings have uh, postgraduate degrees. Um, there's one lawyer, there are three PhDs. Uh, we just ran with it and uh, stayed uh, uh, in college and school as long as we can. I guess you can make a case. I've never left school. I'm still there. I'm still in college. Uh, so it's, it's been an interesting ride. 
but I've since realized that, that teaching is not a kind of byproduct. It's not a default. It's not, you have, you have to really be devoted to it. It's a passionate calling. As an undergraduate, I, I really, really loved the classes. I really loved the discussions. Uh, I was amazed by the, by the lecturing skills of many of my professors. This was at UCLA. It was a very conservative department in many ways, but uh, back in the day, Mark Rose still hanging out there, I understand. Kind of virtuoso performance that I'd see from these very, very thoughtful uh, interpreters of, of the text, really special. And I, I, I was influenced by that, there's no doubt about it. Uh, but I also have to say that when I got into graduate school, I mean, there wasn't a lot of attention paid to pedagogy, to teaching. I mean, it a sh it's a shame. <laughs> we began to develop a, a course to prepare us to teach the 101, uh, the first year comp. But it was very basic and very much about, uh, you know, the, the grammar mechanics. Not really, comp rep was just finding its footing. So we had to bring our own passion to it. And, I, you know... Those early days of teaching as a TA, and then we were, uh, I was just too, uh, too anxious to try to figure out what's going on here, trying to, to really get, get uh, confident. It took a long, long time to become confident in my teaching. Yeah, a really long time. Um, and I, I think eventually what happened is that uh, I would become comfortable in, even if you can't, even if students can't quite understand exactly what I'm trying to get at, they feel some of the enthusiasm. And, uh, you know, it's a cliche, but I think that matters to students. Um, that kind of care and concern and, again, passion that they see in the person standing in front of them. So from UCLA to Bristol Community College, what eventually led you to Bristol? Well, as many of, like many of our students at the community college, it was a wind and a twisting road. <laughs> in fact, uh, when I was at UCLA, uh, I kind of assumed that I'd be teaching at, at an R1 institution. I mean, that's the way we were trained. No one ever talked about what was then called the junior college, except for one fellow grad student who did go just who just did get he did get a master's and then went off to junior college or community college that was not on my radar I knew very little about community colleges and I have to admit to be perfectly honest I had a kind of attitude toward them something you know what well, I mean I grew up in LA and I heard about city college LA city college and it was just a place for athletes to go to where people were trying to figure themselves out academically I didn't really know much about the mission so I was primed to teach at our own institution, and as uh, someone interested in romantic literature, man, I'd imagined, you know, going to the Lake District in the, uh, in the summer and reading Woodsworth um, there. And in fact, I even remember Paul Shields at UCLA kind of saying that he did something, he did that every now and then, we'd, go to, we'd travel back to Wordsworth country. And uh, anyway, that was a kind of elitist dream I had at the moment. Uh, you know, I, I began to think at some point that, uh, that maybe I, I needed to be around students who, uh, who, who had a greater need for the kind of uh, knowledge that, that college provides. Oh, I should say also at Brandeis, I became exposed to uh, composition. This is in the 80s, kind of the, the really kind of emerging field of comp read. I had no idea uh, that there were these, uh, that there was a kind of intellectual fervor going on there. You know, at UCLA, I, it was a kind of default. If you, I mean, the prime teaching positions for TAs and GTAs, you know, would be literature courses and the rest of us would be teach first, first year comp. Um, given the Norton anthology of, uh, of, of literature, expository prose, and go in there and teach. Um, but in the 80s, man, something incredible was going on. Um, and I, that's where I first became exposed to Ann Bertoff's work. She was teaching at UMass Boston as an uh, adjunct, I believe. And that just, man, uh, 
<laughs> she was bringing some kind of philosophical content, subject matter. She was bringing in Coleridge and discussing the imagination. I thought, wow, she's bringing together my love of romanticism with uh, the fact uh, with composition and rhetoric. What is that all about? <laughs> um, and so I, I just uh, became enamored of what was happening in the field, and I uh, joyfully and gladly engaged uh, 101, first-year comp. And essentially from that point on, I've been teaching mostly first-year comp with some, with some basic writing, occasional uh, lit surveys, but really that's my deal. I, I could say a lot about the, that course, first-year comp. I think it's the most important course in the curriculum, uh, and it, it's a real... It, it carries a, a huge burden, but uh, it's a significant one and something we all take. Those of us who teach it in a serious way uh, have a mission uh, to uh, to make that work for our students because of the stakes involved. And uh, eventually found my way to uh, to teaching, uh, well, first of all, part-time at BU and, and some of the colleges around Boston, but eventually full-time uh, at BU at the then College of Basic Studies. It was a two-year college within BU. And I was intrigued by the idea of having of having a space, giving students a space who are not quite ready for those upper level courses, upper division courses to, to find themselves. But uh, the students themselves uh, didn't, weren't as diverse as I'd like them to have been. So I heard about this opening down, the, down 95 in Fall River, Mass uh, at Bristol Community College. And I thought I'd give it a try to see if uh, I could be in a classroom with the older students, uh, much more diverse students. Um, and uh, as a child of immigrants, I thought, well, I think it's, maybe I'll find uh, images of myself. Uh, so I, I did it, and uh, I have been all this time. And I, you know, the, the transition uh, from even the two-year college within BU to the public comprehensive uh, community college was not an easy one. I think for me, um, and perhaps those colleagues around me. Um, in, in seeing what I was bringing. You've been at Bristol for 30 plus years teaching first year writing. I want to talk about your co-edited book, Deep Reading, Teaching Reading in the Writing Classroom, which won the 2019 Four C's Outstanding Book Award. You wrote a chapter about how students experience reading in a community college first year composition class. Can you talk about the importance of teaching reading and how teachers can frame reading in their first year writing classes? Sure. I, I, you know, I don't want to generalize, but for many community college students, reading is not seems as much as, a, as an opportunity, as a barrier um, to, to their success, their academic success. Um, and, and of course, many are uh, often read from the screen and, and read, you know, kind of multitasking way. So there's a little opportunity, I think, for them to, uh, to dive deep or invitation to dive deep into the reading. And I think in some ways, uh, we faculty at community colleges uh, are, I was going to say another word, but I'll say facilitate that, that assumption or promote that assumption that it's okay for our students to kind of linger on the surfaces. Uh, and uh, uh, the cynics among us even say, well, you know, I will assign my reading, but I'm not assuming that students will do the reading. So here's my PowerPoint demonstration. It, it, students, of course, to, uh, so often come away from that kind of experience saying, well, why did I buy this textbook? I mean, wh what exactly was this textbook doing in this class? Uh, my, I don't have to read. My teacher's going to give me all the bullet points. Why do I bother to read? 
they have very good points that uh, that the students are raising about this. And I think in some ways we faculty haven't fully sort of integrated the reading within our own course. It's it's something we do because uh, when we were students, texts were assigned, and and the assumption is we went out and read them, uh, not with any help necessarily. We we're on our own. Um, but I, my students require some assistance and require some limitations and require some skills and strategies to be able to read well uh, what is in front of them. I, I, th I think I mentioned in the, in the article that uh, historically reading has been seen as a developmental skill. And so um, those folks in the developmental part of the, uh, of the college would be entrusted with, with, the, um, with the mission of, of teaching and reading and that those of us in the English department, well, what were, we, what were we doing exactly? We were <laughs> uh, creating a, a taste for literature, <laughs> if that's the way to put it. Uh, or in a writing class, um, we were uh, inviting self, uh, self uh, reflection through, through, through the written uh, word, uh, having students kind of get a sense of who they are as individuals. But it dawned on me for a variety of reasons that, that reading is a crucial, should be a crucial part of every single course at the college. But that we're, uh, I think many of us faculty are assuming that it be done somewhere else, but not in the classroom. So I think it's Robert Scholes who said, you know, reading, reading's invisible. We have to make it visible to our students. We have to spend time talking about uh, how we read and, and, and actually have them read in class. That's something to learn. That's something, that's a data point. I mean, that's something that we have to sort of understand. How well do our students read the, the work that we're assigning? And of course, it's fact that we have to ask those questions as we assemble our syllabus. What, uh, why these readings? Why these and not the others? What's our rationale here? What's our pedagogical explanation? And I don't think we do that often enough. Uh, I'll say this about the OER movement, the Open Educational Resource Movement, too, um, that it's, it's sort of forced many of us to justify uh, the readings that we require that come at uh, 100 bucks, 150 bucks, 200 bucks, maybe more. Uh, are we, do we really, from a moral perspective, want to uh, ask students to dish out that money when we don't really understand what the role of that textbook in our class, or we're not really spending time walking students through and showing them how to become deep readers of this work? Uh, it's a good, uh, good check on, on, our, on, our, uh, on our choices because of the situation that our students are facing. So scaffolding and thinking about and through curriculum is so vital to teaching and teaching effectively. One curriculum model that you use and draw on is teaching for transfer. What are the benefits and advantages in teaching for transfer? I had this discussion yesterday in class um, uh, about transfer and I, uh, it's one of the set of key terms that, that I use in my teaching for transfer first year comp class. Uh, it's not a rhetorical term, it's, it's more kind of uh, it's conceptual um, and, and functional in many ways. It, uh, and I think I think students kind of realize that um, for them transfer is a really kind of apt term to use to describe their own lives. But especially community college students, that they are constantly moving to some place. That the community college is a is a place, a stopping place, but it's not the end point. That they continue to move along, and as they move along, they're being uh, uh, tasked. Uh, along the way, whether in the workplace or another course, uh, in certain ways, and in, in, in connection with writing, they're being very likely being asked to compose or uh, or write uh, in, in some in response to whatever 
an employer asks them to do or another teacher. So, uh, and of course, transfer itself is key uh, to community college students because they're acquiring credits that need to be able to be portable, moving to a four-year institution, uh, especially. So they're keenly aware of transfer as a kind of personal concept, but I, what else, I think the more difficult challenge for them in my class is to think about writing in this way. So what is their, what knowledge about writing is portable to them? Now, it's a tough task to imagine the challenges that they haven't faced yet. So they can't really, they have to hypothesize, okay, where am I gonna be asked to write at all? Where am I gonna be asked to compose? What you're being given is not necessarily purely a set of facts that are static, but you give, you've been given um, a way of asking questions, uh, a way of seeking answers, uh, and uh, uh, learning how to learn, essentially. And this is sort of one of the sort of transferable skills that you acquire, somewhat more general, but uh, that you acquire and it will help you down the road as your job continues to change. Most, most young people are kind of used to the idea that they're going to be changing jobs very often. They're not going to be in a position like me. I've been in a, in a job for 30 plus years, so they need to adapt. So uh, the, the teaching for uh, transfer course in a, in, a, in a writing context essentially gives them a set of uh, concepts like rhetorical situation, like genre is part of that, but also like context and purpose. It asks them to kind of apply those terms throughout the semester, including, I should also say that the, 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 the term uh, reflection is a key part of that, that throughout the semester they are looking back at the work that they've done and seeing how successful they have been given the criteria. And if they need to change, adapt, they do so. Um, so I, I just love the idea of a kind of organically organized writing course with sequenced assignments, each one of which seems to offer uh, an opportunity to go back to revise their previous readings. And each one of these so weekly assignments preparing for larger, more ambitious assignments. I've never, let me just say this, in all the years I've been teaching composition, I've, I've never really felt that there was a kind of coherence that I could rely on. I mean, in part, it was a blessing because, you know, first year comp allows you to do marvelous things with it and make, to experiment, which is kind of cool. But I, I've missed having a kind of coherence and a cogency and a sequencing. Now, composition rhetoric, uh, I was talking, referring to the those really heady days of the 80s and early 90s when comp was really coming into its own. You know, introduced me to the concept of sequence assignments. Uh, David Bartholomew, Ways of Reading, man. I, I was just, uh, wow, is that how it works? You can actually <laughs> have one assignment lead into the other? Uh, that's, uh, that was a, a mind-blowing experience for me. But I couldn't, it was hard for me at the community college level to imagine how that would work. Those are very challenging texts that the Ways of Reading provides. Um, but now with transfer, I think I've got a, some kind of, some kind of sequencing, some kind of order that, I, that is really remarkable. Not all students get it, uh, but many, if not most, do by the end of the time we're finished here. Um, it, it, it has given an order and meaningfulness uh, and purpose to the whole teaching of first year comp that, uh, that, that uh, is very welcome, although it has also brought challenges, and I've written about this. When taking the, the TFT, the Teaching for Transfer curriculum, to the community college, uh, one has to make adjustments. I mean, just. It, this 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 uh, curriculum was de was designed for large public universities, R1 institutions, community college. We we have to be more mindful of our students and the, the kind of pacing we use. But it's worth a try to try to give them those skills that they can then take with them and apply them whenever they're being asked to compose some formal 
communication. Howard, you've been at the same community college for decades, and you've collaborated with so many other teacher scholars at two-year colleges. What are some of the biggest challenges facing two-year colleges, and what would you say, maybe even more specifically, are some challenges writing teachers face in two-year college contexts? Well, I could state the obvious, which is the kind of lack of funding, proper funding for that element of, of higher ed. Uh, over the years that I've been at, at uh, Bristol, Mass- Bristol is part of the Massachusetts Community College System. The, 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 the state has uh, withdrawn its support in staggering amounts over the years. We used to be almost like a 60% fund, public institution funded by the public. Now, gosh, uh, we must be uh, closer to 30%. Over the years, uh, I've thought about this question of what uh, of what holds us back. And when I say hold us, I mean our students as well as those of us who work at the community colleges. And I've come to believe that it's some ways psychological. We do not, we, those of us who've committed ourselves to, to your college or community college, I think, I think sometimes we do not see the possibilities. I've written about this a lot that uh, while our students sometimes have difficulty seeing the horizon, seeing how they they may succeed uh, down the road, I think we faculty also tend to kind of limit our vision uh, as to what we can do in the classroom, uh, how we personally can succeed as professionals. And so uh, we, we don't learn as much, we don't review our curriculum as often, we don't, we're not as open to change. Um, and uh, yeah, I know I'm hopelessly general, generalizing here, uh, but I, I've considered an important part of my work to to uh, reach out to uh, faculty, both at my college and elsewhere, to your colleges, to to mentor them, to maybe even be a kind of example of someone, of a teacher scholar, who, and someone who could teach five sections, but also write uh, for publication. It's still a kind of rare thing. It's a rare bird <laughs> because we do teach so much uh, at the Korean College. But um, as I said, uh, I've also said many times, we have to, we have no choice but to reflect on our teaching. We want to prove it if we want to continue to learn um, our craft and to be able to sort of make our, our, our courses interesting to our students and stimulating. Um, we need to innovate as best we can. Uh, but it's a scary thing to do that. Uh, it means, uh, you know, essentially subjecting your, your teaching on an ongoing basis to research, to reflection. I was uh, really into classroom research, still am, trying to figure out how my students are responding to the tasks I give them. I see student, I've always used student voices within my writing because I feel that they have something to teach me uh, about the work. When we shut down, when we don't uh, draw upon students' work in our publications, I, I, I think that's a real void. Earlier, you used the word possibilities to talk about two-year colleges and the work that happens within those contexts. What are the possibilities or what future direction for research and teaching and or maybe the role of two-year colleges in the future of higher education might you consider others think about and study moving forward? I've been amazed at uh, at the sort of uh, crop of teacher scholars and activists and Patrick Sonnell was one of them that when I first started writing about the two-year college experience, <clears throat> most people were not writing about, the, they were not writing for publication. Um, they may be, they have been scholars, but they weren't necessarily exchanging their ideas with others. Uh, oh, right now we have such huge, I mean, with such significant numbers, and you, you've, you've named them earlier before our conversation here, uh, 
people who who, ha who can do all that, who can teach and and share what they've learned in teaching and and write eloquently and passionately about their work. So I hope that that continues. Uh, there are pressures, most definitely pressures, on all of us who teach at community college to be productive and to show be accountable for for the teaching that we do. And there are a lot of demands on our work. But I, I hope and I dearly hope that each community college system will support and nurture teacher scholars uh, to see that teaching at a community college, like teaching anywhere, requires uh, uh, constant reflection and that we allow some space for, for colleagues to do that, uh, sabbaticals obviously being one of them, but even space within a semester, typical semester. And obviously, <laughs> it's kind of crass to say though, but you know, compensate the folks uh, in order to do so. Uh, uh, you know, we're about younger faculty who are not necessarily making a great deal of money because of the economics of, of teaching at a community college. But, um, and so I have to, have to load on the courses and load on the online courses, especially. I don't want, they may burn out sooner rather than later. You know, burnout was often cited for me as, as one of the sort of seemingly inevitable byproducts of teaching at community college. At some point you stop, you begin to lack energy, you're not curious anymore. As far as I can say, that's public enemy number one for faculty who teach at community colleges. I think we have to uh, hopefully create the conditions for people to continue to want to learn, to be curious, to tackle difficult uh, questions, teaching questions. And by the way, the scholarship doesn't necessarily have to be classroom research. It could be more traditional, conventional uh, scholarship, maybe even a lab-based uh, research. I, I, I still think that's a possibility. I, you know, I do worry about um, two-year colleges morphing into a sort of cheaper four-year baccalaureate program. And obviously, many colleges have done that. Um, so, I, I do, you know, there's a unique community mission at open access public two-year colleges, community colleges, that needs to be maintained. But there will be lots of pressures, and there are already lots of pressures, to, uh, to, to in some ways, become that, that affordable four-year school. And, and maybe less accountable to the community, and that would be a shame if that were to happen. Uh, within our own professional organizations, I think those of us who teach at open access institutions keep our voices loud and insistent. Uh, I know that uh, colleagues mean well, and, and it's definitely in composition rhetoric are, are thoroughly committed to teaching, but you know, and we're not immune, and they're not immune to the kind of um, privileges of academia, <laughs> shall we put it? So sometimes the voices of folks who teach at intensive, the teaching intensive institutions are not always heard at, uh, at our, our professional meetings. And uh, I think uh, we have to speak up ourselves. We have to be good scholars. We have to demand that we be, uh, that we let into our flagship journals uh, to, to uh, share what we know about teaching. At the same time, keeping you know, our feet firmly on the ground. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of mentors, but you know, one particular uh, mentor that kind of strikes me uh, right now is Lynn Troika, who is a, a for, former um, chair of C's, I believe, a second two-year college person to be uh, to be chair of C's, uh, and I remember she's also the first uh, chair of Taika two-year college association. And I always remember her leading meetings by essentially saying, you know, I just came from a meeting and they, they didn't have to say a darn thing about us, you know? They, we should, and she's, she, was, she is the kind of person who would always remind our four-year colleagues, hey, you know, we're doing a lot of teaching, especially in first year comp. You got to listen to us. And she was always courageous enough to speak out. Not everyone is that way, but I, I, I think those of us who have tenure and those who have a certain promise in the field, 
need have an obligation to remind four-year colleagues about the valuable work that we're doing at these uh, two-year college institutions and and uh, access-oriented institutions. So I hope that that continues. Thanks, Howard, and thank you, Pedagog listeners and followers. Until next time.